Here we go. All right. So, a life lived for God. We're going to do our review real quick. Of the, uh, we're in the book of Joshua. Obviously, this is our 85th message in the book of Joshua. Last week, we were covering a message uh, that the message was in chapter 11, verses 10 through 15. And the message was titled, Leave Nothing Un... Colin! Um, sorry. Leave Nothing Undone. Um, thankful for what God showed us last week. Last week, what we were doing is examining how the Israelites, who had literally defeated this coalition of northern armies, what was happening is they had defeated them, and now they had shifted their attention into dealing with the evil strongholds that still existed in the region. And what we're going to talk about today is the difference between strongholds and other smaller enemies. And what happened was we saw that through their faithfulness to God, their willingness to adhere uh, to what God had told them to do, which was address evil, right? We learned some powerful tools for us, things that we can apply into our own lives when we deal with sinfulness within us. And the first thing we noticed last week, or we learned last week, was wicked strongholds confronted and it was here that we saw how the Israelites, uh, their quest to conquer northern, northern Canaan, what it did was it shifted them uh, into dealing with this city of, of Hazor. Now, Hazor um, was a powerful pagan city, and it was led by a king by the name of Yabin. And what was interesting was Joshua's very first thing to do, as soon as they defeated that coalition, was to turn and address Yabin. He went to deal with this wicked ruler. And we realized the fact that why this was so essential is dealing with the, the influences that draw us towards ungodliness, right? We see Yabin, who's a physical king, but what we saw was the fact that he had influence not only in his own pagan kingdom, but he actually had influence over many other, other kingdoms in the region. And we discussed the importance of dealing with, for you and I, on a spiritual level, people, places, things, memories, experiences, things that have influence in our lives, and those influences draw us, draw us away from God. Those things that don't draw you to God, man, you need to cut yourself away from them. There are people in your life, Lord, and you know, this, you know if someone's not going to draw you to God, guess what they're going to do? They're going to draw you away. And someone who's not seeking God is not going to draw you closer to God, I can tell you that right now. So sometimes we have to assess, sometimes it's people that are in our lives even at this moment. And what we saw was the fact that this link to sinful strongholds, they all go back to pain. There's always a place of brokenness. And strongholds appear in many different fashions and forms. They can show up as addiction, sexual immorality, bitterness, rage, unforgiveness. Things that have been a part of us for a very long time and we struggle to let them go. But they're always linked to something or someone from our past. And it's not until they're made powerless that their hold can be broken in our lives. And what we saw was Joshua was willing to address King Hazor, but not only was he addressing uh, or, or the, the king of Hazor, but not only that, but he was willing to confront the entire city. What they did was they decimated the city. They burned it to the ground. And it's not until you and I have the same attitude about dealing with the strongholds in our life, a burn it to the ground attitude, that we can truly break their bond that they have upon us. There are things in our lives that need to be addressed, but it's not until we finally give them to God that we can truly be set free. Some of us today are carrying bonds for we've had for years and years and years, and God is waiting to set you, to set you free. Second, we saw the faithfulness to God's word. As they continued wiping out the wicked strongholds in the area, they did not judge who was worthy, who was a threat, and who was not a threat. They were willing to go and say, listen, you know what? We're going to address all of them. They did exactly what God commanded. It was because of their dedication to be merciless in regards to dealing with evil that we saw that God would deal with these issues of the heart, the small and the large. And as a result of their faithfulness to do what God had commanded them, what we saw was God rewarded them. Obedience to God was rewarded. And we saw here that we revisited a concept that we've talked about before, which is God's dealing with humanity is conditional, right? God works with us in a conditional fashion. He tells us what he expects of us, and then it's up to us to follow through. So he rewards faithfulness or obedience, and he punishes disobedience. And what we saw was the Israelites were willing to go and conquer the strongholds exactly as they were instructed. And because of that, God met their needs. So while they destroyed Hazor, all the other cities, they were allowed to plunder. Because you got to remember, all these men have been using all their supplies as they're traveling from city to city to city to city. And God had all that they needed waiting in those cities that they just defeated. And what we saw was the fact that this was a picture of God rewarding faithfulness. God took care of the needs that they had 
the needs, not their wants, but their needs. And God promises to do the same thing for us. Because can I promise you that God is faithful to meet the needs back then in the stories of Joshua, but also today in 2023. God knows the needs that we have in our life, and He rewards our faithfulness. Then we closed out last week's mission talking about a mission completed. And it was here that we looked at the relationship that existed between God and Moses and Joshua. And there was this awesome picture of biblical discipleship. Because God had given Moses, hey, I didn't see you there. Um, uh, so God, <laughs> you, Alicia, sorry, I was like, I didn't see you come in. But, but the thing is, there's this beautiful picture between God literally uh, giving Moses a mission, pouring into Moses, and then Moses taking what he was taught and pouring into Joshua. So when Moses was no longer able to do what God had called him to do, Joshua continued the job. Right? And we saw what was modeled, the very thing that the Lord modeled for us. We looked in John 17, and we saw Jesus when he was praying in Gethsemane. And he talked about finishing the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord was establishing his disciples. And what he did was he set an example for us. The reason why you and I are saved today is because people did their job. They carried on the truth of the Word of God. The gospel was carried from person to person for millennia. And now today we stand here as a result of that pattern. And what we saw was that beautiful Mission completed. And you and I are supposed to be investing in the next generation, investing in someone else, so that when we are unable to carry on the journey, they will continue to reach the world and do the work of the Lord. And what we'll do today, as we continue in Joshua 11, is get insight into all that's been accomplished in Canaan so far for the glory of God. Okay? So today's message is called, God's Command Realized. I need a sip of water. Mm. I'm slowing down, I promise. I just get excited. I can't help it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for, for my brothers and sisters being here. God, I thank you for the spirit that dwells at Hope Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord, for the liberty that I'm given to preach. Uh, Lord, just to preach the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would direct this message, Father. Would you get a hold of it? Lord, would it be one that's, uh, that's directed by the spirit, not by directed by man? Lord, I am asking you to remove the human element from the message. Uh, Lord, would your word speak to, speak to my heart? Speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us have ears to hear that we might be changed, God. We want to be more like you. And God, if today uh, we could take that step, Father, we just want to thank you in advance. Lord, do a work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua 11, verse 16 through 20. So Joshua took all that land, the hills and all the south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountain of Israel and the, the valley of the same, even from the Mount Halak unto the, uh, that goeth up to Seir, even unto Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon and all the kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites and the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against battle, come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And so what we're getting here today is kind of a, a synopsis of how God's battle plan was, was fulfilled. Well, up to this point, recognize it's not completed, but they have come to this point and they've done what God expected them. So today we'll see an overview of four different points. We're going to see, first of all, ground taken for God. We'll see wicked rulers defeated. We're going to see rebellion crushed. We're going to see God's judgment delivered. And so as we continue on this, on this path of conquering our spiritual promised land, because remember, the Old Testament is a picture book. It's teaching us principles and ideas in a visual way, a historical record of actual events that took place, but it's teaching us also spiritually at the same time. So you and I have a promised land. It is a place of peace with God. It's a place of reverence with God. It's a place of fellowship with God. And so here's that place of, of fellowship, but place of reverence. And you and I, if we're striving to get to our promised land, what's God's telling us is, listen, you know what? I'm going to show you through Joshua how you can attain it. And so we're seeing a path of victory up to this point. First thing we see is ground taken for God. Verse 16 and 17, it says, Joe, Joshua took all that land, the hills and all the south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountain of Israel and the valley of the same, even from the Mount Halak goeth up to Seir, even unto Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon. Now, when we see that it says that Joshua took all that land, it's important for us to understand what that actually means. That does not mean that there is no enemies left in any part of that territory. What it means is the strongholds that would be a threat to them that could take power from them, they have been defeated. So the strongholds have been destroyed, as we were going to see in chapters to come. Verse chapter number 13 is going to show us about places that they have not 
yet defeated. So as the long, large strongholds have been defeated, there are still enemies in these regions. So as Joshua's recording for us and giving us this graphic or these, uh, these geographic locations, he tells us this, the hills and all the south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountain of Israel and the valley of the same. What's being described is a broad stroke description of the southern campaign, the central campaign, and the northern campaign. And then what he does is he kind of gives us an extent of how far their reach goes. He says this, look at verse number 17. He says this, even, so even giving a limitation, even from Mount Halak that goeth up to Sayir, even unto Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon. And I have a map to show you guys where those are. The mountains of Sayir are actually down here. They're down below the Dead Sea in this area here. So the Jordan River's right here. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. And when you see that Mount Hermon, that's way up here. So he's saying, listen, from here all the way down to here, we've destroyed the strongholds. There are still a few here we're going to see taken care of. But this whole main section, the strongholds, the strongholds have fallen. And what we're given here are the boundaries of their control up to this point. Joshua chapter 13 is going to give us the highlights of the areas that are yet to be conquered. But what we see described here are the major strongholds. Those major threats have been handled. They've been, they've been fall, they have fallen. So what if we think about in our, in our promised land? Okay. So let's make it personal now. Let's think about the areas in our lives that actually the strongholds have fallen. If we were going to describe our Christian walk, and we were going to give us some, a broad swath description of the large areas where the strongholds have been conquered, what would we be able to talk about? What areas would we describe and say, well, you know, when God's got a hold of all, all this section of me. The Lord has control. I listed a few of them. The Lord has control of my tongue, right? Our speech, what we say. What does the Bible say that? It says in 1 Peter 2, 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings, and notice the last part, and all evil speaking. You know why the Bible gave us, our, why God gave us our tongue? To praise God, right. right? The Bible says, praise ye God and curse ye men. It ought not to be. This mouth is designed to edify, to build people up, but yet how do people use their tongues in the world today? They rip people to shreds. It's a weapon, and it should not be. But that's the reality. Does God have a control of our tongues? We look at our eyes. Matthew 5, 28 says this, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman, he just can't keep his eyes off, looking on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. What do our eyes look at? What are we drawn to? Where do we focus our attention? Because recognize, man, things that come into our eyes, many times things we saw even as children, those memories are still in our heads. We're distorted by it. God wants control of our eyes. How about our ears? Mark 4, 23 and 24. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he saith unto him, unto them, take heed what ye hear. Be careful what you allow to go inside of your ears. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. He says, listen, man, listen to good things. I'll build you up. But listen, the things that we listen to, music, man, I'm telling you. A lot of people just disregard it's just music, it's just music. Those music, that music has lyrics. And if we take the time to pay attention, many times the lyrics are not things that we should be celebrating, certainly. And that's what these songs do. Let's think about our minds, our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is the Word of God, okay? So it's saying those things that exalt themselves above the Word of God, things that defy God's Word and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Does God have control of our thought life? How about our dreams, our aspirations, our desires for ourselves? Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you. Listen, whoever's going to be the top dog, let him be your minister. He needs to be a servant. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Then he says, why don't you look at me, fellas? Let me just give you a little insight. Though I am God, by the way, the King of kings and Lord of lords, though I am God, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You want to be great in this world? Be a servant. Be a, be a servant. That makes me think about our missionaries. I got a video I may show you tonight at the end of the service that uh,
I don't know. Man, there's some things going on in the world. Thank God for missionaries that are willing to risk themselves. For you see, in these territories of our flesh, this is where sin likes to live. It loves to thrive in these areas. And if we were to describe them all with one broad stroke, the land that God really wants to get a hold of is our hearts. It's our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 through 27 says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence. Be super careful. For out of it, out of the heart, are the issues of life. So if we go, okay, what are the issues of life? What, he explains, verse 24, put ye, put, says, but put away from thee a forward mouth, hello, your tongue, and a perverse lips, put far from thee. He says, let thine eyes look right and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Focus your heart and your eyes on God. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Our thoughts, our minds, our desires. Listen, what are our dreams, our aspirations? Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Focus your heart on living your life for the glory of God. Our hearts rule all of those areas of us. All the territories could be listed as that, our hearts. Does our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, Joshua, the Hebrew rendering of the name Joshua is Jesus. Or Jesus, the Hebrew rendering of Jesus is Joshua. That's what I meant to say backwards. So when you see Joshua in the Old Testament, it's actually saying Jesus. So here, does our Jesus, does he have control of our hearts? Joshua has control of the major portion of the promised land. Has he taken, has our Joshua taken all that land? That should be the desire. If we're going to possess our promised land, he must. For you see, it's only when he does that we can complete our mission. Because otherwise we're battling against ourselves. The issues of the struggles of the sin of sin are in our lives. Remember, the only reason the Israelites were successful is because they allowed God to fight for them. And what happened with Joshua is he was, he was willing to say, you know what, I know what my job is. My job is to trust the Lord. My job is to put my faith in God and allow God to fight for me. And if we're to be successful in our Christian life, that's absolutely the key. If we are the ones fighting our battles, we will lose every single time. But if we will allow the Lord to fight for us and we will simply do what he tells us to do, what his word says, we can be successful. What does it say in 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Give him control, that he may exalt you in due time. In due time, in his timing, not our timing. Many times we've got to go through a period of humility in our lives. Where we've got to be humbled and brought to our knees. And it's important because, you know what? We learn who we are. We learn to learn how to become dependent upon God. If you live your life thinking that you've got to be strong, man, you're in a, you're, your road is going to be rough and bumpy and hard. But if you realize that you're weak, your weakness is such a great gift because it's in our weakness that we can depend upon God. What did Paul say? Is God told Paul, in your weakness. He said, I'm made strong in your weakness, Paul. Your dependence upon me is what will give you strength. You don't need to trust in yourself. You need to trust in me. Trust in self is a dangerous, a dangerous thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. All your cares, all your battles. You go, you know what, Lord? <laughs> I can't fight these. Could you take those for me? And he says, cast. He doesn't say hand them. Cast. Let them go. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. And you know what? That's what Josh was doing here. He set his heart on pleasing God. No matter what it would require of him, he said, I'm going to do what God asks of me. And instead of focusing his attention on his enemy, okay? Many times we focus, we're trying to get a victory in our life. We focus our attention and our energy on our flesh. This is not the road to success. You don't deny yourself because I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. That's not how we succeed. It's through recognizing the fact that what did Joshua do? Joshua focused his attention on pleasing God. We defeat the flesh not by biting, fighting against the flesh. We defeat the flesh by surrendering to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. He says, man, I've got a plan for you. Listen, the Bible says, look, you know, uh, uh, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The command is simple. Do the right thing and God will handle that issues of the flesh that you're struggling with. And what we find here with Canaan 
And this whole issue, what's taking place, this is the Old Testament picture of the battle for sanctification in a Christian's life. Salvation and sanctification are two totally different things. Salvation is 100% through the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in what He did. Sanctification is your growth as a Christian. This is your responsibility. God will help you, but you've got to take responsibility. Salvation, that isn't up to you. That's up to God. We put our faith in Him, but boy, after we're saved, now God says, okay, now what are you going to do for me? Let's start keeping record from there on. The Bible says that we will all stand before, you will all stand in the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for those things done in the body, both good and bad. So from the time you get saved, from the time you leave this earth, God's going to say, let's judge what you do for me. Because that's your period of sanctification. That's what we're battling through and we're working through as we speak. This is our journey towards holiness. Joshua's been successful, that's hard to say, successful up to this point because of his complete dependence upon the Lord. And as a result of that dependence, we see number two, wicked rulers defeated. Verse 16, and all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made made war a long time with all those kings. Okay, so let's think back. When they came across, right, they had Sahon and Og on the other side. Then they entered in. They went to Jericho. That king fell. They went to Ai. That king fell. Then they went to the Amorite kings. Those kings fell. Then they worked their way through the southern kingdom. All the southern, uh, southern campaign. Those kings all fell. Then they went to the northern kingdom. All those kings fell. These evil influences that headed these wicked strongholds have been utterly destroyed. And it's here. We revisited a principle we talked about last week, which is addressing and dealing with the leadership. If a stronghold is to, is to be defeated, its king must be killed. He must be destroyed. Because the stronghold loses its power when it loses its, its leader. Now, while this sounds simple enough, just take out the king. Notice that the kings are usually pretty well fortified. They're not standing like this. Take a shot. Come on. No. They got soldiers in front of them, right? They're protected, right? It makes me think of like a beehive, right? Where's the queen? Man, she's in the, uh, the hub. And all those drones, they will all fight to the death to protect that queen. And can I tell you this? Your flesh... Your flesh will fight tooth and nail because of its carnal will that drives it to protect and keep control of our tongues and our eyes and our ears and our thoughts and our dreams and aspirations. It will work, 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 work because you know what? It does not want to lose control. But see, we live in a society right now where so many people that claim to be Christians live lives that are driven by selfish lusts. They live lives that are driven by their flesh. And I'm talking about people in church right now who profess to love God. Oh, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Him. I love Him. I love Him. But the problem is they might say they love the Lord, but guess what? They will not let go of the world. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, the Bible says. Look at this. What does it say for us in Colossians 3, 5? Or no, no, in 2 Timothy 3, 3, verses 2 through 4. I've read these verses to you before, but I want you to listen to them with new ears. This is talking about the age we're in right now. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. This is where we live today. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. This is the world that we live in today. But this last part is talking to the church. Listen to what it says. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It does not say they do not love God. They love God. They just love pleasure more than they do God. And there's people right now, man, you know what their God is? Deer hunting. There's people right now, you know what their love is? Man, shopping. You know what their love is? Their family. Anything you put above God, listen, has become an idol. We've got to be so careful. He is to take the number one priority spot in our life above, above everything else. Instead of giving up the power to rule their hearts to God, they dig their fingernails into the arms of their throne and they say, you know what? No. I will rule me. You know, my rule for my life is better than what God's is going to be. That's what people will tell themselves. That's a lie straight out of hell. I can promise you that. Many of us that lived our lives, ruling our lives and ruling our hearts, realize how badly that can go. 
But what we find is the fact that, man, you know, we struggle to give up control to the Lord. And listen, our control is really good for our flesh. It's very good for our flesh. Our, lo- our flesh loves us being in control because we're terrible rulers. We're terrible leaders. We're inconsistent. We don't, hold our, we don't hold our flesh accountable. But what does God say? What's God's command? What does he tell us to do? He says to mortify the flesh, to kill it. Second, uh, Colossians 3.5 says this, Mortify therefore your members. The members is your body. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All the issues of the flesh. And this is the battle for the promised land for our spiritual walk with God. But do you notice verse 18? Notice what it says. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. A long time. And some of us have been battling our strongholds and their leaders for for months. For years. There are people sitting here today that have strongholds in their life they have been battling against for decades. Decades. And they still exist today. Recognize the fact that, listen, he says they, that he, Joshua made war a long time. It's because of an unwillingness to let go. It's an unwillingness to set the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of our hearts. Meaning he gets to make the rules. We don't. We establish and follow what he tells us to do. The battle for sanctification the battle for, for, uh, for peace with God. The battle for fellowship with God. The battle to possess our promised land is a war that for many of us has been raging for years and years and years and years. And we're still in the heat of battle. Because we will not do what God tells us to do. It is not until we follow His advice and follow what He instructs us to do that we can be successful. Recognize, what does He tell us? Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. He says this, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up! For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He's talking about His second coming. Listen, the night is far spent. He's going, listen guys, do you know that we live in a spiritual night right now? When the Lord was on the earth, He said, I am the light of the world. When He ascended from this earth, the light of the world left. We entered a spiritual night. We're in the darkness. That's why the Bible warns us we're supposed to be lights in the world, right? Notice what he says. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The dawning of the Lord, the return of Christ is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Do you hear what he's telling us? He's telling the church, you got darkness. He knows it's about, that's us. We're all struggling with something. And he's saying, listen, it's time to cast off the works of darkness. Cast your care upon me. Right? For I care for you. What does he say next? And let us put on the armor of light. It's time to get out of the darkness and get into the light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. Verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like an armor, like a suit of armor. Breastplate of righteousness. Helmet of salvation, man. The belt of truth. Feet with the preparation of the gospel. Oh man, the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God, man. The shield of faith. With your armor, can I say, this is the one right here that really people struggle with. Because that shield is not locked in place. It's a variable. You can go into battle with your shield down. You can leave it on the ground. Or you can go into battle like this. Be sober, be vigilant. You're going into war. He's talking about armor. He's talking about put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because guess what? When you go to battle with Him, you're invulnerable. You can't be hurt. Do you know that there's nothing someone can do to you today if you're a born-again child of God that can take you out of the glory of God? You will go to heaven no matter what. If you killed me today, man, praise the Lord, you just sent me a little earlier than I would have gone otherwise. Hey, man, I know where I'm going. I'm not worried about that. So we've got to realize the fact that, listen, God's telling us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and listen to the next part, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Because I can tell you, in your flesh, it's filled with lusts. 
It wants what it wants. Don't make provision for it. Don't give it food through the internet or whatever you're introduce, introducing to yourself, the things you watch, the things you hear, the parts of the, the land of our hearts that aren't given to God. And it's by way of serving God and denying ourselves that we can mirror the works of Joshua and his men as they committed, some, committed themselves to doing God's will. And as a result, our third point, they saw rebellion crushed. Verse 19 says this, There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hittites or the Hivites and the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. So outside of the Gibeonites, and as we studied the Gibeonites, we saw them as a picture of Gentile salvation, God making provision to receive people that were undeserving. That's us. So not one of the wicked kingdoms, not one of them, ever even considered making peace with God. Their hearts were set on evil. Their hearts were set on fulfilling their selfish desires, and they were willing to take that desire and hold on to it to their very death. And can I tell you that in our world today, there are countless people that have the exact same attitude. They will hold on to their selfish, sinful, fleshly desires, and they will fight to the death even understanding that their sinful lifestyle will take them to hell. They stand in defiance of God. They know. They know there's judgment. They know what God's going to do. And yet they defiantly hold on to their sin, unwilling to bow their knee to God. But can I tell you, there will come a day when they will bow their knee before God. They will bow their knee before the Lord. It says in Philippians 2 verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, just His name, every knee should bow. And then He defines every knee of things in heaven, all those that have gone on to glory, all the saints, and things in the earth, all the people on the earth. And then He says, and things under the earth, even those in hell are going to bow their knee to God. So we see those who would not bow to God as their Savior in life will reverentially bow to Him as their judge in death. For you see, we're all eternal beings. All of us. Lost and saved. The only difference is our spiritual zip code. Where are we going to know? Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? And there will be no one in hell, I'm going to tell you this, who's going to stand there and say, you know what? This isn't fair. I had no idea. I didn't even realize God was an option. Are you kidding me? Where'd this come from? No. God defines it for us. Listen to this. Look at Romans. Where am I at? Here we go. Romans. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that which, listen, but that which may be known of God is manifest in them. In them. The law of God is written in the heart of every person. The morality that exists in the world today, what's right and wrong. If you go to a village, as I gave you an example before, if a guy is in a village on the other side of the world and has never seen God, never met a missionary, and someone comes up and goes, you know what? I love your tent. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it for myself. I doubt he's going to go, well, okay, works out, fine, help yourself. No, there's an issue because you know what? They know stealing's wrong. They're going to know murder's wrong. They're going to know all these things. They're going to recognize because in their heart that's made inside of them by their creator, they know what's right and they know what's wrong. It's what morality is. Because that when they may, it says, that, but that which may, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. And then he goes this. So not only is it written inside of them, but I've also revealed it all around them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. We look at the way the world functions, the amazing system that works cohesively together. It is unbelievable. More complex than any machine that's ever been remotely designed or invented by any human mind ever. The world is so complex. And he says, just through the complexity of what's right before you, you can clearly see my existence. Being understood, listen, being understood by the things that are made, that includes us, even as eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one will have an excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, 
neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. And he closes out chapter 1 of Romans saying this, who knowing the judgment of God, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is the reality. The author of the Satanic Bible, the guy who was the founder of the Church of Satan, his name was Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey did this back in the 60s all the way through the 60s. Well, he died in 1997. And at his death, this is what was recorded that he said. Oh my. Oh my, what have I done? There is something very wrong. There is something very wrong. And you know what's amazing? That man, to his very last breath, the Lord was offering him salvation. Lovingly. Father, forgive them, for they know not what he did, what they do, he said. But you know what? He hung on to his, his rebellion. He would not make peace with God, just like these pagans. And because of that, they face destruction. They face destruction. And sadly, that story plays out every minute of every day as people who have lived a rebellion, a defiant life. Listen, that defiance is going to come to an abrupt end. They'll leave this life with rebellion in their hearts and they'll open their eyes being in torments. And I can promise you, in that moment, they're going to believe. In that moment, they're going to absolutely believe in God. There are no unbelievers in hell, I can promise you that. The problem with them is they believed too late. We have a chance when you're here. You're given one shot. If you defy the Lord, you will face judgment. Not because He wants you to. He wants you to be with Him. It's why He died on the cross. It's why He suffered for the sake of humanity, because of love. Which brings us to our last thing, God's judgment delivered. You guys okay? Yeah. All right, you sure? Some of y'all are crying. Some of y'all look upset. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I need some water, man. And the last one's pretty tough. God's judgment delivered. Verse 20. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. Now we hear this phrase, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts. And I know some people go, what? I'm not sure what that's, what that's saying. That doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound very merciful on God's, on God's behalf. It actually sounds like God has taken away their ability to do the right thing. It sounds like he's making them to be evil. But can I promise you that's not what's happening? And I'll explain it to you in just a minute. But what we need to be conscious of is this is not the first time that we've seen this. Right? There's a very, very famous instance in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. Right? And we remember Pharaoh and what happened when God was interacting, when he was telling Moses what was going to happen. He tells him in, Joshua, or in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. He's going to point out to him. Now understand, this isn't the first time and it's not the last time this is going to happen either. Exodus 4.21 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. Now, let me ask you a question about Pharaoh. Was Pharaoh already, before this interaction is described, was he already wicked? Yes. yes. Had he already defied God? He had established who he was, and he was living his life accordingly, okay? So, when we look back through historical record of Scripture, we can see that, listen, evil, the, the, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, wickedness does not come from God, right? Wickedness is not sourced from God. Evil is, in fact, a result of an absence of God's influence. So, where God is not, you will see evil arise. It's like light and dark, okay? Light and dark. Darkness is not anything. Darkness is literally just the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. So if I go into a room and there is no light at all, and there's a light switch in there, and I don't turn the light on, am I causing the darkness? No. 
I'm choosing not to allow light to enter in and impact the darkness. The darkness is what it is. Evil is what it is. What we see is God is purposely holding back, interacting in a situation, in a circumstance, letting someone follow their natural inclination, the choice that they have already made for their lives. So we see this hardening. That's what's taking place. And we think about this and we go, okay, why? Guys, God works through good situations and bad situations. There are situations in our lives that stink on ice. And we hate them, but God uses them for good. There are situations that are wonderful. Man, God, praise the Lord, he works through those situations. But see, many times, unfortunate, uh, sad, broken moments have to take place in order for God's will to be accomplished. I want you to consider Judas, okay? Consider Judas. Judas, the betrayer, okay? He's going to betray Jesus. Now, Jesus knows the entire time that Judas is going to betray him. He knows before he meets him. He lets him be a part of the group. He interacts with him. He provides for him. He loves him. God, whole time. He never confronts Judas. He never tries to convince Judas to change his heart. He allows Judas to follow the path that he chose. And you realize at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting having a meal with Judas, knowing what's getting ready to happen. This is right before he's going to die. He knows what Judas is going to do. And yet he says, here, let's share some food. Let's have a meal. He never confronts Judas. Notice this in John 13, verses 26 through 27. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after that, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Think about that. Jesus is sitting at the table. The disciples are all sitting there. And Satan enters into Judas in the very room right beside Christ. Jesus doesn't say, he's possessed. No, he doesn't point him out. He doesn't say anything. Listen to what he says. He says, then then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. I'm going to use this wickedness, this evil. Judas, that was your heart. I'm going to let you fulfill exactly what you wanted to do. Jesus allowed things to play out because he knew that Judas's betrayal for, was crucial to him fulfilling his mission to die on the cross. His betrayal and defiance of God would ultimately lead to God's glory. How awesome is that? And we understand, we don't know many times why negative things happen in our lives. And God's saying, hey, listen, you don't realize... Sometimes those negative things are absolutely crucial to me receiving glory, for me doing something great in your life. And that's what's happening here in Canaan. These pagans have been given an opportunity. You know what? And you know what? Their hearts are already set on what it is they're going to do. They're, they're these men, because of their defiance against God, they're willing to give their lives. It says that none of them were willing to make peace with God. They chose. They'll continue on the path of destruction that they've chosen to live by, and it will be through his judgment upon them and the victory of the Israelites. Guess what? That God will receive glory. And throughout history, God's power will be revealed. And we think about this and we go, wow, what's a way we can relate it to the church age, to us, right? We think about Romans 8:28. And this was, and we know that all things, okay, well, what if we plug in all things? That's so that means good and evil, right? That means soft hearts. And hard hearts. All things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to, notice this last part, His purpose. His purpose. What's His purpose? For His name to be glorified, for the world to know who He is. Sometimes bad things have to transpire in order to set the stage for good, good things to happen. And what's happening right here, what we see here in Canaan is God using the wickedness of this mighty pagan army and their dedication to rebellion to shine a spotlight on how powerful he truly is. He will reveal himself through this as they drop like flies before the mighty hand of God. So today we've witnessed ground taken for God. We've witnessed wicked rulers defeated. We've witnessed rebellion crushed. We've witnessed God's judgment delivered. 
Listen, Joshua has done all that God has asked him to do so far. Everything God's required of him, he has done it. And because of that, he stands as a conqueror over most of his promised land. Now, if we think about us, our promised land, our spiritual walk with God, where we're actually walking in fellowship with him, a place of peace with God, the very thing that we should desire more than anything in the whole world, a land flowing with milk and honey. Filk, that's not good. Milk, milk and honey. That's what God's desiring for us. And remember, they were in the Exodus. They were in the wilderness. What did God give them? Manna. Just enough to keep them alive and say, look, don't fall in love with this place. Set your heart there. People, guess what? Remember, we're in the world. God's providing manna for us right now. But what we need to do is set our hearts on God. Glory. God's glory. We, soak, we, we, we seek those things which are the fellowship with God or a reverence, a place of holiness. You know what's so wonderful about being holy? You know what's so wonderful about being righteous? It comes with no regrets. You never regret being good. You never regret being kind. You never regret being holy. You never regret being reverential. But can I promise you that all sin, no matter what you may characterize it as, no matter how you may sugarcoat it, every single one will come with a regret that you will carry. We get to choose. We get to choose. Bottom line to this. Are we focused on seeing our plans realized, our desires, our words, our hearts? Do we want what we realized? Or is our heart to see God's commands realized? See, this is such a... Who's in charge? Who's on the throne of our hearts? Who is guiding us? Victory or defeat in this life and in the life to come is based upon what we determine to do. Who is in charge? Who has our heart? Man, every day, every day when you wake up, you know what it tells us? His mercies are new. Every day. Every day he says, you know what? I'm willing to forget yesterday. You know what I'm willing to do? If you'll invite me, I'll climb on that throne. I'll guide you. I'll guide you today. I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to fear any evil. You can trust in me. You can lean on me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we can push him off that throne and climb on it ourselves. And unfortunately, what most of us do, boy, about 10, 15 seconds in, checking the news, focused on the world. I got this, Lord. Let me just get comfortable. I got some driving to do today. God says, boy, if you just step off and let me drive this deal, man, I'll receive glory today. And you don't have to have any regrets. You can smile, put your head high, and know that you're walking in the spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. For the truth of your word. God, if, uh, if no one else received anything today, boy, I know I, I sure did. Whew. I feel like you backed up a truck to my heart and just dumped on me right there. Thank you, Lord. Um, well, would you help us uh, as a body, as individuals, Lord, to give up the ground, although that you're so ready to take hold? Would you help us, Lord, to give our hearts to you? Thank you that you're faithful to forgive that you're graceful, that you're merciful, that you're kind. And Lord, that you saved our souls for the purpose that we might glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters today who are all struggling with something at some level. God, I would ask you right now, oh God, would you put your hand upon them? Would you comfort them? Would you help them know, Lord, you're ready to restore them and that, God, you want them just just to trust in you. God, thank you for being with each one. Would you guide them as they move forward? And for those here that might say, you know, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, 21 years ago, somebody asked me a question. They said, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And you know what I thought? I hope so. I hope so, but I did not know. If I would have taken my last breath that night, I would have crossed my fingers when I left this life. And I would have opened my eyes in hell. But can I tell you this? It didn't have to be that way. 
Jesus Christ loves the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, that's you, that's me. And if by faith you're willing to trust in what Christ did on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, offering you salvation, the Bible still calls it the, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's offering you that gift. If you've never received it, you may know about it. You may have been in church. You may even believe in God. But I can promise you've never consciously received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ, not trusted in what He did on the cross. Then guess what? You will pay the price for your sins and it will be an eternity of separation from our holy God who loves you. So as He calls out to your heart right now, Jesus says, No man cometh to me but the Father draw him. If you feel someone pulling you right now, pulling your heart, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to a place of salvation. All you have to do is surrender. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm willing, to, I'm ready. I want to surrender. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I'm ready to be set free. If that's you, if you will just lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out or point you out, but I want to pray for you. I'm not going to say anything to you. Just lift your hand real quick. Nobody's looking around. Say, that's me. That's me. I need Christ. Amen. If you're watching online, this is recorded. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that gift. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony. It is nothing more than a broken heart calling out to a loving God. And in this prayer, I'm going to lead you. It won't be the words that will save you. It's your heart. The Bible says, man looketh on the outer appearance, God looketh on the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you're here today and you want to receive Christ, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind, and I can promise you God's listening. Repeat after me, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I trust and believe that you love me in spite of my sin, and that you died on that cross to make a way that was otherwise impossible. You paid the price that I should have paid. By faith, I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.